This is Matt Pennington with Radio Free Asia. Welcome to South China Sea Currents, a weekly podcast on what's happening in the South China Sea. I'm joined by our South China Sea reporter, Drake Long, to talk about what he's been watching and riding on this week for RFA and Banar News. How are you doing, Drake? Doing pretty well. Looking forward to the weekend. How about you? Yeah, me too. Me too. So this week, three European nations waded into the South China Sea dispute. I use the term European loosely, as among those three nations was Britain. Apparently setting aside differences over Brexit, the UK joined with France and Germany in submitting a note to the United Nations, rejecting China's claim to, quote, historic rights over most of the South China Sea. They join a growing list of governments, both claimants and non-claimants in the South China Sea dispute, to make such submissions to the UN. Among that number, as we've mentioned before in the South China Sea currents, is Indonesia, which this week protested to China over the presence of a Chinese Coast Guard vessel in its waters. And it's that incident we turn our attentions to first. So Drake, where did this play out and what happened? Right. So over the weekend, a Chinese Coast Guard vessel entered the waters in the North Natuna Sea, That is the furthest south point of the South China Sea, actually, uh, where it meets the Malacca Strait. And it's the only part of Indonesia's waters that intersects with China's infamous Nine Dash Line, which is where you get the historic rights argument from. It's that strange artificial border they submitted to the UN in 2009. So this has been the site of previous standoffs between China and Indonesia, actually. Back in January, you had a Chinese fishing fleet and more than one Coast Guard enter the waters up there and have to get chased off by the Indonesian Navy, not just the Coast Guard. This time, things were a little bit more subdued. There was one Chinese Coast Guard vessel, and it was met by seemingly only one or two Indonesian Coast Guard vessels, not the Navy. Um, And it left the waters shortly after. What? It left after Indonesia protested? It left after it was responded to by the Indonesian Coast Guard. Indonesia protested after, it looks like. So based on the ship tracking data that we have... It was in Indonesian waters from September 11th through the 13th, and then it left immediately after on the uh, 14th, which is also when the Indonesian Coast Guard showed up on the scene. Okay, do you see much significance in this happening? I do, actually. So what's interesting about this is the Indonesian Coast Guard, it's called Bakamla, is kind of a new organization that kind of condensed all these different Coast Guard groups into one entity really, really recently. The last time China entered the Indonesian EEZ in this manner, it took the Navy to respond. And they actually had to send the president of Indonesia to Natuna directly to like show his face to the Chinese aggression and then kind of scare them off. Uh, but this time, the Coast Guard handled things pretty much entirely on its own. They actually detected the ship on their own and responded on their own. So I think it's a sign that Indonesia is taking its security off of Natuna Island much more seriously. And they're also handing over more and more responsibilities to a more capable Bakamla or a Coast Guard agency. Oh, that's interesting. Didn't you also see some Chinese fishing boats in Indonesian waters? Yeah. So, I mean, when this was happening, we were trying to figure out why China was doing this. That Coast Guard vessel that showed up, it's been at Vanguard Bank, which is a submerged feature off of Vietnam, the southernmost coast, for weeks now. That's where it was patrolling. And then suddenly it just kind of took this U-turn and decided to go enter Indonesian waters and, I guess, anger another Southeast Asian country for some reason, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But at the same time that it was passing through into Indonesian waters over the weekend, there was also a fleet of four Chinese fishing ships that were there as well. They, however, went mostly undetected. 
we track them getting chased by Vietnamese Coast Guard ships up to a point, at which point they just sailed through Indonesian waters, and then we lost sight of them. So maybe the Coast Guard ship was escorting that fishing fleet or moving to do so, but it didn't end up happening. Maybe those fishing boats were fishing totally legally. There's a lot of mystery around that, but that was one detail that a lot of other news organizations didn't point out. It seems like these kind of incidents are happening on an almost daily basis and off the waters of nations in Southeast Asia with these Chinese Coast Guard ships and fishing vessels uh, intruding into these of other nations. What else have you been watching this week? Actually, there was a Chinese fishing vessel that was detained by the Vietnamese Coast Guard up in the Gulf of Tonkin. And that was interesting because I saw a Chinese fishing boat within the Vietnamese EEZ earlier this week on Tuesday. And then there's two more there today, which is Friday. So there's actually been Chinese fishing activity all over Southeast Asia this week. It's been very interesting to kind of watch. Right. Well, I guess this just kind of underscores how uncertain the situation is in the South China Sea on a day-to-day basis. You're listening to South China Sea Currents. So the main news of the week, I think, was this diplomatic note by Germany, France, and the UK. What do you make of that? It's interesting. I, it's the first joint note to the UN rebuking China's claims that I have seen. So the UK already took a stance on China's claims back in 2018 when they performed a freedom of navigation operation through the Pariso Islands. The UK is not totally aligned with the US on everything on the South China Sea, but the general uncertainty and danger that China's militarization poses seems to be something that the UK has been interested in for a while. They also have you know, some defense packs and defense cooperation with Southeast Asian countries like Brunei, Singapore, and I believe Malaysia. So that's their interest in it. So it's not too surprising to see the United Kingdom speak up. But Germany and France, to the best of my knowledge, this is the first time they've rejected specific parts of China's claims in the South China Sea. It's very interesting, but it also makes a lot of sense. We've seen France much more interested in the Indo-Pacific recently. They have this vast Pacific territory of uh, overseas colonies. But more so than that, they've signed logistics agreements with countries like Australia and India. They've exercised in the area, although not per se in the South China Sea. They've definitely been given more diplomatic and economic attention to the region. So I think this is a sign that, or yet another sign of France trying to step up multilateral cooperation in the area. They've always had kind of a stake. Germany is a little bit more interesting. I saw that the German foreign minister recently said that it's in German interest to pay attention to the Indo-Pacific as it's, quote, where the shape of the international order of tomorrow will be decided. Yeah, it's a really good quote. It's definitely going to make China mad. So the United Kingdom's interest in the South China Sea is pretty clear. They've already kind of said it. France's interest also pretty clear. Germany does not have any defense interests in the South China Sea. They don't have overseas territories there, obviously. What they instead cited as their interest was the threat to international trade and the threat to international shipping that conflict in the South China Sea poses. Germany and the European Union more broadly has growing economic ties to the region for sure. The foreign minister mentioned the Malacca Strait, which is where a quarter of the world's trade passes through. And coincidentally, you know, it's right at the end of the South China Sea. So it's clear Germany views itself as having a bigger stake as China continues to militarize the area. And while Germany doesn't have the same military might in the Pacific that the United Kingdom and France have or kind of want to have, Germany is very keen to offer diplomatic support. 
and some diplomatic demarches to China over its conduct there. So it's very interesting to see these three countries come together on this is quite surprising because individually they have very different views of the situation. If you look at the note, it's clear that they were able to converge on two things that are definitely going to make China upset, which is China's claims in the Paracels and then China's historic rights argument, which, to be quite honest, is basically the basis for all of China's claims in the South China Sea. Right. I think it sort of shows a broader international unease about China's conduct, or at least that would be my guess on this. I mean, in recent years, European nations have often pulled their punches when it comes to criticizing China, certainly on human rights issues, because China's economy has grown so much that all these nations in the world, including in Europe, have economic interests in their trade relations with China. So it's kind of interesting to me that they're now sticking their head above the parapet and speaking out on this. Yeah, most definitely. And I think it's worth noting, Germany released this groundbreaking Indo-Pacific guideline at the beginning of September, where it's the first that I've seen them do this, where they pointed out we are very concerned about what's going on in the Pacific, not just in the South China Sea more broadly, but we do need to step up our engagement there. We do have interests there. There are threats to our economic well-being going on if China has free reign in the area, which is quite a strong statement to make and quite a strong direction of the policy, quite the strong indication of the policy direction that the European Union is going in. And as you mentioned, there are these strong economic and business ties that have kind of precluded human rights issues for Europeans. But we're actually seeing the European business community sour on the Chinese market a little bit over these human rights concerns and over the fact that China's not really budging on a lot of its practices that block out European businesses. Yeah, weren't you mentioning that there was some statement issued by um, the business community in, in Europe? Yeah, the European Chamber of Commerce released a report on the business environment in China. It's not good. It's, it's quite blistering. Uh, they make the point that they can't operate fairly in China. They have to navigate an increasingly dangerous political minefield if you're a European businessman in China. It's not news that I think China wants to hear, but it's definitely colored European perceptions of China in ways that human rights concerns previously didn't, which uh, make it that way you will. Okay. Now, turning to the US, I know that you've been writing today about illegal fishing and a new report from the US Coast Guard. Yes, actually. Uh, I encourage everyone listening to go check it out. It should be published by the time you hear this. But the U.S. Coast Guard released a new strategy on countering illegal, unregulated, and unreported fishing on Thursday. It's fairly ambitious. They talk about stepping up multilateral cooperation, maybe finding shipwriter agreements where other countries join U.S. Coast Guard ships while they perform law enforcement duties. It names China quite clearly, actually. They even say, you know, countering illegal fishing, it's about saving the livelihood of American fishermen and making sure every country is playing fair. But the country that doesn't play fair, that registers strongly in the Coast Guard's eyes, is China. China has the largest distant water fishing fleet in the world. They don't enforce fishing laws very strongly. And then, as we've seen in the South China Sea, they use their fishing fleets to assert their claims and kind of assert their foreign policy more broadly. So they're very concerning to not just the U.S. Coast Guard, but neighboring Coast Guards, neighboring nations as well. So for the U.S. Coast Guard to take a, a stance on IEU fishing, it's not just an economic issue, but it's a security issue now, too. 
I actually talked with uh, Sally Ozell at the Stimson Center about this, and she made the point that all of this is necessary to do. Like, it's definitely accurate that illegal, unregulated, unreported fishing is something that the Coast Guard needs to focus on. But this document that they've made is very ambitious, and the Coast Guard is probably one of the most stretched agencies that the U.S. has right now. So stepping up in all the ways that they want to do in the Pacific, with the Pacific Islands, in Oceania, in Southeast Asia, in West Africa, in Central America, that's going to be kind of tough to square with their budget and the resources that they have. So very interesting report, very interesting strategy document. I encourage everyone to read it. You're listening to South China Sea Currents. So Drake, in the coming week, what are you working on? Are you still chipping away at your story on how Chinese militarization of the South China Sea might impact commercial shipping? Yep, still working on it. It's a doozy. I mean, it's a very interesting story. I got to ask uh, the acting Secretary of Defense, David Helvey, at a public event on Tuesday about, has the U.S. actually seen threats to shipping in the South China Sea from China? And he didn't bring up any threats to shipping or commercial ships per se. Instead, he brought up economic exploitation. He said, you know, we see China sending fishing vessels into neighboring countries' EEZs, extracting fish, extracting resources, and depriving coastal communities of their livelihood, which is ironically something that the IAU strategy document addressed, you know, a few days later. So that seems to actually be what the U.S. government has on its mind. And yeah, I've spoken to some experts about the shipping matter, and uh, a picture is coming together. I think it'll be very interesting when it comes out. Okay. And in terms of events in the week ahead, what's going on? Well, the European Union and China just had a virtual summit. It apparently didn't go well. And with this joint note to the UN by the big three European countries, sorry, I guess the United Kingdom is not a European country anymore. Well, you know, I think it strictly is, despite what I said at the top. (laughs) Oh, okay. um, It's just not part of the European Union. Right. Well, with those three countries sending that note, I'm actually very keen to watch how European-China relations develop They were also going to have some investment deal that apparently fell through. So I'm very interested in seeing that. And I'm very interested in seeing how this new U.S.-European Union dialogue goes. Uh, That was announced just recently, and that's actually focused on China, too. I Uh think there's a lot of areas of cooperation on that. But if there's one thing that's clear, even despite all the rhetoric, I don't think the U.S. and the European Union view China in the same way. They may have issues, but probably not as many issues as the U.S. does. Well, it's certainly not as as adversarial as it is between the U.S. and China, right? Oh, definitely not. Not not quite to that level yet. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Drake. You can check out his previous articles on the RFA website. That's at rfa.org and at bananews.org. You can also catch up on our previous podcasts at that both those sites. And you can search for South China Sea Currents on Spotify and iTunes. If you've got any questions or feedback for us, please email us on South China Sea, that's all one word, at rfa.org. Or follow Drake on Twitter. His handle is drm underscore long. I'm Matt Pennington with Drake Long, the South China Sea reporter for Radio Free Asia and Banan News. This podcast series is created by Leo Kim and produced by Radio Free Asia. Thank you for listening and please join us again. Bye.